the Hindu religion, philosophy and ritualism of Two Old Faiths, Essays on the Religions of the Hindus and the Mohammedans by Murray Mitchell and William Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Scientilla du Tempudi, Dallas, Texas, May 2018. The Hindu Religion, Philosophy and Ritualism During the Vedic period, certainly towards its conclusion, a tendency to speculation had begun to appear. Probably it had all along existed in the Hindu mind, but had remained latent during the stirring period when the people were engaged in incessant wars. Climate also must have affected the temperament of the race, and as the Hindus steadily pressed down the valley of the Ganges into warmer regions, their love of repose and contemplative quietism would continually deepen. And when the Brahmans became a fully developed hierarchy, lavishly endowed, with no employment except the performance of religious ceremonies, their minds could avoid stagnation only by having recourse to speculative thought. Again, asceticism has a deep root in human nature, earnest souls, conscious of their own weakness, will fly from the temptations of the world. Various causes thus led numbers of men to seek a life of seclusion. They dwelt chiefly in forests, and there they revolved the everlasting problems of existence, creation, the soul, and God. The lively Greeks, for whom, with all their high intellectual endowments, a happy sensuous existence was nearly all in all, were amazed at the numbers in northern India, who appeared weary of the world and indifferent to life itself. By and for these recluses were gradually composed Taranyakas or forest treatises, and out of this grew a series of more regular works called Upanishads. At least 250 of these are known to exist. They have been called Guesses at Truth, they are more so than formal solutions of great questions. Many of them are unintelligible rhapsodies, others rise almost to sublimity. They frequently contradict each other. The same writer sometimes contradicts himself. One prevailing characteristic is all-important. Their doctrine is pantheism. The pantheism is sometimes not so much a coldly reasoned system as an aspiration, a yearning, a deep-felt need of something better than the mob of gods who came in the train of Indra, and the darker deities who were still crowding in. Even in spite of the counteracting power of the gospel mysticism has run easily into pantheism in Europe, and orthodox Christians sometimes slide unconsciously into it, or at least into its language. But, as has been already noted, a strain of pantheism existed in the Hindu mind from early times. Accordingly, these hermit sages, these mystic dreamers, soon came to identify the human soul with God, and the chief end of man was to seek that the stream derived from God should return to its source, and ceasing to wander through the wilderness of this world, should find repose in the bosom of the illimitable deep, the one, the all. 
the brahmans attached the upanishads to the veda proper and they soon came to be regarded as its most sacred part in this way the influence these treatises have exercised has been immense more than any other portion of the earlier hindu writings they have moulded the thoughts of succeeding generations philosophy had thus begun the speculations of which we see the commencement and progress in the upanishads were finally developed and classified in a series of writings called the six shastras or darsanas these constitute the regular official philosophy of india they are without much difficulty reducible to three leading schools of thought the nyaya the sankhya and the vedanta roundly and speaking generally we may characterize these systems as theistic atheistic and pantheistic respectively it is doubtful however whether the earlier form of the nyaya was theistic or not the later form is so but it says nothing of the moral attributes of god nor of his government the chief end of man according to the nyaya is deliverance from pain and this is to be attained by cessation from all action whether good or bad the sankhya declares matter to be self-existent and eternal soul is distinct from matter and also eternal when it attains true knowledge it is liberated from matter and from pain the sankhya holds the existence of god to be without proof but the leading philosophy of india is unquestionably the vedanta the name means the end or scope of the veda and if the upanishads were the veda instead of treatises tagged on to it the name would be correct for the vedanta like the upanishads inculcates pantheism the form which this philosophy ultimately assumed is well represented in the treatise called the vedanta sara or essence of the vedanta a few extracts will suffice to exhibit its character the unity of the soul and god this is the scope of all vedanta treatises we have frequent references made to the great saying tatvam that is that art thou or thou art god and aham brahma that is i am god again it is said the whole universe is god god is existence or more exactly an existent thing knowledge and joy knowledge not a knower joy not one who rejoices everything else has only a seeming existence which is in consequence of ignorance or illusion ignorance makes the soul think itself different from god and it also projects the appearance of an external world he who knows god becomes god when he the first and last is discerned one's own acts are annihilated meditation without distinction of subject and object is the highest form of thought it is a high attainment to say i am god but the consummation is when the thought exists without an object there are four states of the soul waking dreaming dreamless sleep and the fourth state or pure intelligence the working man is in dense ignorance in sleep he is free from part of this ignorance in dreamless sleep he is free from still more 
but the consummation is when he attains something beyond this which it seems cannot be explained and is therefore called the fourth state the name which in later writings is most frequently given to the one without a second is atman which properly means self much is said of the way in which the self in each man is to recover or discover its unity with the supreme or real self for as the one sun shining in the heavens is reflected often in distorted images in multitudes of vessels filled with water so the one self is present in all human minds there is not perhaps there could not be consistency in the statements of the relation of the seeming to the real in most of the older books a practical or conventional existence is admitted of the self in each man but not a real existence but when the conception is fully formulated the finite world is not admitted to exist save as a mere illusion all phenomena are a play a play without plot or purpose which the absolute plays with itself this is surely transcendent transcendentalism one regrets that speculation did not take one step more and declare that the illusion was itself illusory then we should have gone round the circle and returned the senses communis we must be pardoned if we seem to speak disrespectfully of such fantastic speculations we desire rather to speak regretfully of the many generations of men which successively occupied themselves with such unprofitable dreams for this kind of thought is traceable even from vedic days it is more fully developed in the upanishads in them occurs the classical sentence so frequently quoted in later literature which declares that the absolute being is the one thing without a second the book which perhaps above all others have molded the mind of india in more recent days is the bhagavad-gita or song of the holy one it is written in stately and harmonious verse and has achieved the same task for indian philosophy as lucretius did for ancient epicureanism it is eclectic and succeeds in a sort of way in forcing the leading systems of indian thought into seeming harmony some have thought they could discern in these daring speculations indications of souls groping after god and saddened because of the difficulty of finding him were it so all our sympathies would at once be called forth but no we see in these writings far more of intellectual pride than of spiritual sadness those ancient dreamers never learned their own ignorance they scarcely recognized the limitations of the human mind and when reason could take them no farther they supplemented it by dreams and ecstasy until in the yoga philosophy they rushed into systematized mysticisms and magic for more extravagant than the wildest theurgy of the degraded neoplatonism of the roman empire a learned writer thus expresses himself the only one of the six schools that seem to recognize the doctrine of divine providence is the yoga it thus seems that the consistent followers of these systems can have 
in their perfected state no religion no action and no moral character and now to take a brief review of the whole subject the hindu sages were men of acute and patient thought but their attempt to solve the problem of the divine and human natures of human destiny and duty has ended in total failure each system baseless and all mutually conflicting systems cold and cheerless that frown on love and virtuous exertion and speak of annihilation or its equivalent absorption as our highest hope such is the poor result of infinite speculation the world by wisdom knew not god oh that india would learn the much-needed lesson of humility which the experience of ages ought to teach her while speculation was thus busy sacerdotalism was also continually extending its influence the brahman the man of prayer has made himself indispensable in all sacred rites he alone as we have seen knew the holy text he alone could rightly pronounce the words of awful mystery and power on which depended all weal and woe on all religions occasions the priest must be called in and on all occasions implicitly obeyed for a considerable time the princess struggled against the encroachments of the priest but in the end they were completely vanquished never was sacerdotal tyranny more absolute the proudest pope in medieval times never lauded it over western christendom with such unrelenting rigour as the brahmans exercised over both princes and people the feeling of the priest is expressed in a well-known stanza all the world is subject to the gods the gods are subject to the holy text the holy texts are subject to the brahman therefore the brahman is my god yes the sacred man could breathe the spell which made earth and hell and heaven itself to tremble he therefore logically called himself an earthly god indeed the brahman is always logical he draws conclusions from premises with iron rigour of reasoning and with side issues he has nothing to do he stands upon his rights woe to the being god or man who comes in conflict with him the priest naturally multiplied religious ceremonies and made ritual the soul of worship sacrifice especially assumed still more and more exaggerated forms becoming more protracted more expensive more bloody a hecatomb of victims was but a small offering more and more awful powers were ascribed to the right but the tension was too great and the bow snapped buddhism arose we may call this remarkable system the product of the age an inevitable rebellion against intolerable sacerdotalism and yet we must not overlook the importance of the very distinct and lofty personality of buddha sakyamuni as a power moulding it into shape whenever it extended it effected a vast revolution in indian thought thus in regard to the institution of caste buddha did not attack it he did not it would appear even formally renounce it as a mere social institution he seems to have acknowledged it but then he held that 
all the religious were freed from its restrictions my law said he is a law of mercy for all and forthwith he proceeded to admit men of every caste into the closest fellowship with himself and his followers then he preached he though not a brahman in the vernacular languages an immense innovation which made his teachings popular he put in the forefront of his system certain great fundamental principles of morality he made religion consist in duty not rights he reduced duty mainly to mercy or kindness toward all living beings a marvelous generalization this set aside all slaughter of animals the mind of the princess and people was weary of priestcraft and ritualism and the teaching of the great reformer was most timely accordingly his doctrine spread with great rapidity and for a long time it seemed likely to prevail over brahmanism but various causes gradually combined against it partly it was overwhelmed by its own luxuriance of growth partly brahmanism which had all along maintained an intellectual superiority adopted either from conviction or policy most of the principles of buddhism and skilfully supplied some of its main deficiencies thus the brahmans retained their position and at least nominally their religion won the day End of philosophy and ritualism